0: I'm Maddie Bryce, and with me today I have Lana Polanski and Cameron Kunzelman, and I am very excited to be a second wave or maybe the inaugural podcast of a new kind of things that I will be hosting on interesting subjects and games criticism. So I guess let's do some introductions. Lana, why don't you just give us a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, hello, I'm currently an independent critic. I started out writing for Killscreen, actually, as an intern, and I sort of worked my way into um, writing for myself. I have my own website, sufficientlyhuman.com. I recently put out a book of short stories with a bunch of awesome writers called Ghost in the Machine, and I I make Twine games, and I make sort of Construct 2 and Stencil kind of games, uh, small little personal dealies like that, and I like to talk about
0: the intersection of
1: my personal framework, which is literary theory, structural issues, and video
0: games. You know, and um, this is going to be quite on point when we talk about it, something that's always been so interesting for me is saying I'm an independent critic, mm-hmm. kind of like almost like I'm an independent developer, almost. Almost. And it's really kind of, is it, weird in that way, because people are like, oh, are you freelance? And I'm like, no. What? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah,
1: I was so it was for a very long time, and I'll still take yeah. sort of the odd freelance contract it's i mean i'm very selective and i i'm very privileged that i actually can be selective because i've been at this for a few years and i've built up a bit of a cachet um so i like i happen to just sort of know people and i I mean it really does kind of like uh solidify that idea like that sort of um truism that it's like it's who you know Mm -hmm. it kind of is so i just i happen to If I do take contracts, it's usually with people I know I've worked with before and I trust. And uh, part of that is actually what's what's sort of interesting is like you say, we say independent, but it's not outside the system. It's well within the system because Mm -hmm. if I didn't have enough of an audience where I could actually like be funded like through my fans through Patreon, then there's no way I could do this.
0: Yeah. And that's probably a podcast for another time. Yeah. (laughs) But I definitely well knew it. And
2: Cameron, how about you introduce yourself for us? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm Cameron Kunzelman. I'm a, uh, I don't know, I'm an academic. right write games criticism. I, uh, I develop games. Increasingly, I would say I'm a game developer more than I'm a games critic, uh, even though I still produce a lot of criticism. I'm not independent, uh, I wouldn't think, you know, in <laughs> this sort of system, right? I'm directly subsidized, subsidized by my job. Uh, which is a job that has a kind of lateral ability, right? It encourages you to think and to be productive uh, and is really destructive in that way. But it directly encourages me to to do a lot of public thinking um, about video games. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I write pretty often for Paste Magazine, I guess. Uh, I have a website, thiscagesworms.com, where I've been writing for three or four years. Um, And that's it.
0: Yeah. And again, very pertinent. It's kind of interesting because I would say, like, you know, from my standpoint of getting to know you and your work, I would I would have said, oh, of course, you're probably more of a critic. But we will go ahead and get into that discussion soon. Mm-hmm. And for everyone else, um I'm, you know, Maddie Bryce, as I said, and um you can find my work at Alternate Ending, which is Um And I just do a whole sort of things like my, you know, fellow speakers here do um things, criticism, uh, development. Organization and, uh, lots of other stuff. So, how about we go ahead and start talking about this relationship between, um, uh, I would say game making and games criticism and kind of this discussion between, uh, you know, when we have these hybrid type people making games and criticism. So, I think, uh, what will benefit all of us and also just people listening is maybe we can kind of start off with a small, explanation of kind of, let's say, the DIY movement, because um, maybe you both can talk about your own relationship to it, but I feel like um, a lot of people kind of got into making games because of this DIY culture that has happened within mm-hmm. the past couple of years. So can you all speak to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have ever felt comfortable making games if it hadn't been for, I guess, the Twine... Revolution. I don't know if it's really a revolution, <laughs> but it's, I think it's more of an evolution than a revolution, but I guess that's another yeah. thing. Um, but I mean, if, if that hadn't been popularized, then I don't think that I would have necessarily, maybe I would have gotten to it later in life, but, um, it sort of lowered the, um, barrier to access a lot for me because I don't have a programming background. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt really alienated by pro- programming culture for a bunch of reasons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and this was, it, it's not just that, I mean, cause, um, like we like to say, well, oh, with Twine, you don't have to know any programming. And that's not really true because Twine mm-hmm. is actually rooted in actually like five or six different languages. And it, the more you work with Twine, it's sort of a gateway drug because you start with very mm-hmm. simple syntax and then you kind of work your way into macros and stuff like that. But, um, what it did was part of it was the community um that made me feel comfortable enough to start making games like not just the program itself which was it it is pretty easy to learn Mm -hmm. it has a pretty low learning curve but the community itself made me feel like safe like i could Mm -hmm. actually make games that spoke to me and that represented my own experiences and what i want to see when i personally make games and what i play what, what excites me when i actually play games and prior to that there wasn't really much of a community of people who um really seemed to encourage that very much most of the communities were pretty prescriptive in what they expected out of developers even like local indie communities that I've been a part of usually you know the most uh, successful indie devs were the ones that made um the most familiar kind of comfortable looking games um And so I never felt like I could, and they all had like CS backgrounds and stuff like that. So I never really felt like I fit in. And then with this DIY movement, you know, it was like, it was like a place for the misfits, which is perfect for me because I've always been that pretty much so. And it sort of opened me up to to, uh, being encouraged to actually try new programs and maybe learn a little bit about programming and get a little more comfortable with those tools. And so if that hadn't really been as popular as it had been, um, at least in our, like, particular circle, then I don't know that I ever would have felt, like, really comfortable delving into games. It always would have felt like sort of like a foreign kind of world to me. Mm-hmm. That I would, Like, prior to actually making games, um, my attitude towards a critic, I always had this um, weird sense of, like, sort of enigmatic wonder about the way that games are made. Like, it always seemed like a kind of magic.
0: <laughs> and it, Yeah.
1: Programming still kind of does seem like a kind of magic to me because I mean when my programming friends actually say things in those that that speak I'm like what the hell, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a little demystified and I understand um, sort of the uh, internal mechanism of actually being a game creator a little bit better and I feel like I'm it's made me a more empathetic more compassionate critics because I understand how what goes into it. Um, and I think it's actually made my writing stronger.
0: So. Cool. Um, and where would or when would you place when you started doing games, Cameron?
2: Um, so I started making games. Uh, okay, so there's, there's two parts to the answer. The first part of the answer mm-hmm. is the straight-up answer, right? So I went to Game Loop in Game Loop Boston, which is like a local developers um, conference. I went there in 2012, mm-hmm. I believe. I went there in 2012 and just met a bunch of people who were making games in the Boston area, right? Met Zoe for the first time. Met Maddie Myers, who wasn't making games, but um, right, a prominent critic. Mm-hmm. Just, just met all these people. Lots of people I'd never heard of or met before. And then I was like, oh, well, here's a lot of people uh, who can make games and are, you know, have made their own independent projects or. Uh, made bigger stuff, right? You know, they're working at Irrational or they're working at harmonics mm-hmm. or whatever. So why Oops. can't I do that? Um, mm-hmm. And so I came home and then immediately started looking for things to do. And so there's the second part of this is I'd been writing on uh Copas's limb uh, since it mm-hmm. came out in July, I think. And so that it was about a two month break in between. And I was like, well, what did what did she make? and so i you know on the website it says at the bottom you know construct two so i immediately mm-hmm. sort of gravitated to construct two and and started playing with things there so that was part of it it wasn't really part of the the sort of burgeoning everyone can make games right sort of the twine revolution that, like mm-hmm. lana was talking about and everything though those two things are definitely part and parcel with one another but it wasn't mm-hmm. with that process uh, that it came out it was much mm-hmm. more just about uh, seeing people right because I'm from the south mm-hmm. the south doesn't have a strong independent developer community um, mm-hmm. And so I'd never I'd never seen it before uh, and so so that's the first sort of like e Straight-up answer to that the, the second part is that mm-hmm. I, I've always right? So I have a degree in literature and when I was getting a degree in literature. I wrote and I wrote a lot right? So I wrote mm-hmm. tried to write a novel wrote a lot of short stories that kind of thing. I started studying comic books I made comic books for a while um, and so I've always, when, when writing or getting sort of in depth with something, I do believe that, that you need to understand the material that you're, that you're making. You need to understand how something is put together in order to take it apart, um, mm-hmm. I think. And so, so so it was sort of inevitable, right? When I, when I turned to games, it was just sort of a matter of time before I felt that I needed to get deep in it. And sort of like what Lana was saying, right, it was sort of this mystification or uh, this thing that if I commit to trying to understand how this is built, um, it might be more than I'm prepared for. And so going mm-hmm. going to Game Loop was showed me, no, that's not true at all. I mean, you know, if you if you put your time in and you learn the documentation or whatever, then, then you can do it. And much like Londa I don't have a computer science background. I I have an incredibly weak uh, just math background across the board. It's embarrassing actually. Oh,
0: yeah. um, no, I we probably I all relate. Yeah, I can't yeah. do simple arithmetic.
1: Like it's really <laughs> pathetic actually. <laughs>
2: So so yeah so I'm coming from a similar place um, but with always the strong sort of belief in in knowing knowing the tools that people are working with and understanding those is critical to the critical project itself.
0: Okay. Yeah, it was like it just kind of felt like of the time like a mm-hmm. zeitgeist almost. You know, like I kind of have like about both your same experiences for myself where, um, you know, I just were, I was just making friends and getting to know people and they were making games and then eventually just came to the point like, well, why am I not doing it? You know? So yeah, no. And that was kind of this interesting thing of um, this kind of DIY culture or what it, what it is. And maybe even kind of what makes it deceptive as a, as a, let's say when it's formed to be a crystallized movement that maybe it's probably not. It was just, a a timing, a timing thing uh, Mm -hmm. of a whole bunch of people together and then probably was very strong uh, within circles so I'm really curious and I guess guess what I should say for just some reader uh, or listener uh, reading is that uh, I guess a seminal text I guess if we would agree would be um, Ananthropy's Rise of the Video Game Zinsters which is I would say at least pulls all that feeling together in one place and it was released in or published in 2012 as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And 2012 was just kind of like like a year, I guess, where that was like the most explosive uh, uh, or or interesting. So um, I think that was a good text if people want to go and read and kind of understand um, a little bit more of the background or just in the contemporary, because as we've kind of seen, you know, as time has moved on, we've been looking at history of, you know, DIY before 2012, like, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, mm-hmm. and that DIY, DIY culture has been around this entire time. So it's, like, not necessarily a new phenomenon, but it's interesting how it's coming up right now with these sort of people. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, so let's get into how about if you all feel comfortable with it, how do you – do you want to, like, kind of describe some of both of your critical work and your game work and maybe – if you can, if you've thought about it before, how they connect or a theme or something you find as being an artisan of both things.
2: Hmm. I, this is a, I mean, maybe a contentious thing. Um, And I'm sure someone will, when they listen to this immediately say that I'm wrong, but I don't think that (laughs) what I actually, what I, what I do in my critical work and what I actually produce as a, as a developer are wildly different things. Um, They they generally don't uh, sort of align together in any way. What I find interesting in a game as I'm playing it, or especially sort of AAA, you know, bigger titles, what I find interesting in those games, and what I find sort of available to read through, or what delivers something interesting to me in those, is rarely what I enjoy putting in games. Uh, I think a lot of my games are are very. Um, if not sarcastic then sort of morbidly funny um i mean i do think that like i love the idea of simulating something or just showing something that is uh incommensurable something that's really gross so like i made that game about foucault right so it's a game yeah, about yeah. disciplining yourself to run away from discipline and you can't run away right eventually you just end <laughs> right and so i i find that really funny uh and when i'm making it i find it really funny but then um, you know, I, I've talked about this before, but more than one person has said, you know, are you okay? Uh, oh. the that you make so so sort of depressing. So so it's something about I, I think I put less of my so so you know I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know talking about how much of yourself do you put into your work? I think I put less of myself in my critical work, and I put a lot more of myself in my development work. Uh, whereas I generally, my sort of very bleak outlook on life doesn 't come up in the critical work as much uh, but definitely comes up in every everything I develop, so I think that 's my answer
1: so this is kind of a okay there 's there's a few levels on which I can answer this question. The first I think is a matter of focus, so like cam Cameron was talking about like how much you yourself do you put into your critical work versus your artistic work, and I can actually draw a parallel between my creative work like my that's just my writing my non-interactive creative work and my game stuff and both of those are um drawn from kind of intensely personal things there's still a lot of very personal stuff in my critical writing but i still try to root that in um usually some kind of uh, dialogue um between myself and another work which means i'm doing more observing and describing of what i've been experiencing rather than making it kind of all about me but when it when I'm doing creative work, the level of focus is, is sort of different. My concerns are different. I'm trying to achieve or elicit um, certain ideas or sensations with my writing or whatever. Um, and so, so many of my games are writing based because so many of them are made in twine um, mm-hmm. that I can actually like carry over a lot of the same sensibilities. Uh, more when I'm writing poetry, I think. Mm-hmm. But with my critical work. Um, I I guess it's appropriate that I try to keep a a pretty safe distance from what I'm actually writing about so that it doesn't get too solipsistic or Mm -hmm. self-involved and I'm fair to the work. Um, And so there's a sobriety when I write critical work. Even the way I look at myself when I write critical work, there's a certain um, sobriety, um, there's a certain detachment with how I'm uh, treating like my own experiences. And, but when I'm doing stuff creatively, there's more passion. There's maybe, um, a little less self-awareness. And, like, I, I guess for me, like, the, like, the games I play for the most part are, like, small, weird, alt-indie fringe games. Partly because I don't have enough patience to sit through, like, an 80-hour game for the most part, <laughs> and partly because I'm too broke to actually, like, play those games regularly. Mm-hmm. And so I get a lot of my inspiration from from those games, and I'm still kind of like picking and choosing and emulating elements of those games that I find interesting, putting them into my own work. And it's it's a little more erratic. It's a little bit more. Um, there's more of like a, a a drive, like just a sort of impetus to create, rather than to contemplate and to de- deconstruct. So it's a much more active process. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, again, I make a lot of, like, a lot of my, the games that I make are rooted in in what I've done with poetry. And I've written a lot of poetry, not all of it good. (laughs) And so, like, one of my favorite, like, pieces of feedback was a comment from Free Indie Games for one of my Twine pieces that said something to the effect of, I don't know what I just played or if I played. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the best piece of feedback I've ever gotten. And I guess that sort of sums up what my work is like both to make and actually to experience.
0: Yeah, I guess in relation to you all I have a a drinking problem when it comes to personal investment in things. Um in in a sense of um I guess I'm all the way on the other end where a lot of my work, um, critical and uh, critical writing and development are both very intertwined um and kind of used In conjunction with one another and I find that kind of interesting how that happened because um, I would say you know I was writing for at least a year or so before I even began to fathom um, or at least blogging at least in the circle for um, uh, for years or so before I even considered making a game and I wouldn't have thought it was going to come up as a critical tool because that's kind of how I see my games is like another form of criticism sometimes Um, and how I used to inform people of different perspectives, of uh, detailing my own personal perspective in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be kind of a really interesting uh, growth that I wasn't expecting. Um, And so now with that, I'm kind of curious overall as a landscape, um, if you all notice certain things that are coming from critics who also make games, like if we look at that as a body of work, kind of what do you see if you see anything
2: um, i mean is this uh, so this is a, becomes the sort of weird question of of critics on what time scale and then development on what scale too right so there are plenty yeah. of critics from like 5 or 6 years ago who are now in the sort in you know the belly of the beast and, and i say that right. in a positive mm-hmm. and yeah. a negative way right like they're mm-hmm. they're deeply deeply embroiled so it seems like This is a dodge on your question because I don't have a good answer, but but it, it, it at least is an answer. It seems like criticism for a while, maybe five or six years ago, there was a big sector of people who were doing criticism as part of a... Uh, what do you call it? Not a, a portfolio, right? The criticism and thinking clearly about game and game design issues was part of a portfolio that would go along with like maps mm-hmm. or would go along with systems design, um, mm-hmm. that in that showed you could think critically about a game and maybe would get you hired. And I think it did get quite a few people hired. I don't know how much that actually had to do with it so much as like doing the criticism mm-hmm. and then going to GDC, for example. Um. Right. But I think it did have a, it at least has an impact. It got lots of people writing jobs, right? So, so I don't think, you know, someone like Chris Dahlen could have sort of moved over into the writing field without his really good and sufficient, uh, criticism. But yeah, so I, I think that's part of it. So, so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't really read the field just because I'm not really sure. I don't think I have a good read on what the field of people who are both making and writing about games are, right? I think a lot of people are actually just game designers and developers. Most of that sort of uh, double production that we see Mm -hmm. is mostly from people who are game designers who occasionally will write a critical piece um, Mm -hmm. rather than the other way around. Um, And feel free to correct me if that's that's totally off-base, but that's just sort of the way I immediately think of it.
1: Well, I mean, for me personally, it's kind of the opposite. Like, I started out... More as a, as a critic, mm-hmm. just because my background was in, was in like lit criticism, because that's what I read the most of. And then I started, so I mean, like I can't, I don't really have like the context to talk about like what was going on five or six years ago, because I think I only really started writing like four years ago anyway.
0: Yeah, we but started I, around
2: the same
1: time. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I only really got into games like relatively late in life. Compared to, you know, people who have been playing their like their entire lives. And I, I you know, played games as a kid, sure, but not to such uh, not as compulsively as maybe some other people who've been doing this for mm-hmm. a lot long longer. And so like I sort of because when I started getting into criticism, I mean, I wanted to know the craft a little bit better. Um And so I read a lot of sort of earlier criticism uh that had been sort of written before my time, but a lot of that was from like electronic book review. It sort of had a very academic tone. So like Gonzalo Fresco and Celia Pierce articles and stuff like that is what I was reading. Um, (laughs) And not maybe not so much like the more mainstream populist writing um, Mm. that I'm still kind of fuzzy on. Like I, I don't really have much of a context for that. And so, I mean, perhaps today it might be more the case that it's, you know, developers writing criticism or something like that, but it's, for me, it's more sort of the opposite, <laughs> that I, I was introduced into games and I've sort of been kind of like inching my way into actually making games. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the people that are sort of in my immediate circle, I think, have a similar kind of background. Um, but like there's this really good Zelani Stewart tweet from not that long ago. That I can't remember exactly off the bat that it was something like you know critics and developers need to kind of like get in there with each other and like make out a little. <laughs> <laughs> that um there needs to be like so like the whole that that whole line between like creator and critic is very blurred. Mm-hmm. Um and who is what is kind of up in the air because I I consider myself both simultaneously and I'm a critic of my own work too. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know if I would call myself more, and I mean, in general, I just sort of call myself an artist because I feel like that's the easiest mm-hmm. and most all-encompassing <laughs> yeah. designation I think of myself. But I sort of put on different mantles depending on what I'm doing.
0: So yeah, like, I can, I find that I find that interesting, and if it's possible to find that tweet within the, you know, you know, raging waterfall yeah. that is uh, Twitter, I guess reverse waterfall maybe but um but uh it would be i'm kind of interested in that idea of you know development and criticism mixing because like at least in academia maybe you all can you know correct me on this but i feel like in academia like theory and craft are often like truncated apart like uh programs are tend to be like pulled away from each other um i i I guess um one time um, a professor of mine described, like, you know, the PhD lit and MFA creative writing being like rival gangs in certain, like, you know, universities and things like that. Um, and I don't know how maybe true or relevant that is now, but I kind of find that in my institution a little bit too. And so I kind of find it interesting that maybe there is something transgressive going on now with that and the idea of mixing uh, criticism and games. And how even like in the what Cameron was saying, people kind of jumped from criticism to games mm-hmm. uh, instead of, let's say, simultaneously, which I kind of find both of you still do simultaneously. And I'm kind of curious as to, you know, that sort of relationship, maybe what you see growing out of that. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just too soon? Is it yeah. too soon of a question? <laughs> okay. Um, no, well, I, I mean, it's about. something
1: to think about, um, especially because, like, we're drawing a kind of a line in the sand between, like, theory and practice. And so, like, in the first question, I'm going to do a stitch bag. Um, <laughs> in the first question, so I sort of mentioned how, you know, becoming a game creator has made me more sympathetic as a writer. Um mm. And so when I started reading like that those academic kind of older pieces those like really seminal like game theory like mm. ludology pieces whatever yeah. I sort of I mean it's one thing to know in theory how games are made to read about them um and you you know it, 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 like, it that did inform my writing and I think my writing the, the, I I actually don't think that my early writing is that great in fact I think it's a little bit cold and I think my writing is similar
0: for a lot of people.
1: It, well, I think I've gotten, you know, better. Um yeah. But that early stuff, it gave me a framework to understand, in theory, how this thing is put together. But it wasn't until I actually started doing it that I, I actually, like, acquired um, a sort of, like, practical sensibility and an empathy for how these things actually work.
0: So I guess, would a better question then be for both of you all is what have you learned since making games, you know, that is different mm. than what you've had before? Um,
1: let me think about this one. Okay, so <laughs> like definitely, you know, the, the the compassion is stronger. I guess one of the things I've sort of un, sort of started to learn about making games. I guess I have more appreciation for uh, how formal frameworks can underpin and be in service to content, which is something that um, was a little bit hazy before I started actually making things. Because I mean, it's when you actually have an, uh, an audience of people who are experiencing your game and coming at you with all kinds of interpretations, it shows you how the way that you've constructed this thing is communicating an idea. And not only that, but like, how they're embodying and experiencing that idea in a very active way, which is, um and it's also, I think because I, I use twine so much, I'm like, I'm, I'm more succinct than I used to be. I think I could also, I can also give Twitter credit for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: So, I mean, I'm more interested in compact, but densely created pieces rather than sort of long winded. And I'm sort of getting better at sort of condensing my ideas and then making have having depth rather than lengths and and more of an appreciation of how to achieve those things so there yeah there's a lot of formal and aesthetic stuff with games that that has, i've I've sort of been able to practice more um and get a little more proficient at, which is really nice um and there's also um stuff with you know with time management too understanding how long it's going to take me to actually accomplish something. Mm -hmm. Um, which is something that, you know, games are really deceptive with that because you think you can do something in a week and it takes you a month, (laughs) Um, which is different. I mean, writing an article, I can write, you know, I've I've done it for so long that I can, you know, crank out a four-page article in a couple days, Mm -hmm. you know, or a few hours if I'm really pressed. (laughs) But games are, you don't think there's as much going into them as there is. Um, and there's all kinds of stuff that I've been made to practice visual art and typography and sound design that I've with just straight up, you know text, I've never actually had to really practice before. But to understand how those things fit together, and I'm um, uh, understanding the architecture of, of how a game works. Um, gives you a much deeper appreciation for a huge panoply of different art forms and how they sort of inform on each other and how they can be adapted from one to the other and stuff like that. And I think it has made me a more well-rounded artist, like just better-rounded, more dynamic, more adaptable.
2: Yeah, um, I I don't know. I don't know what I've learned. I think I've learned, um, um, but because, like I said before, right? I've always been interested in these sort of like, if you're going to if you're going to study something, you need to know how it works. So I've gone through this more than one time. I've had this sort of learning process that that Lana's talking about happen over and over and over again. So, like for example, I learned that I can't make comic books, um, <laughs> just, well, and that's okay, right? That's it's, it's, you know, it's not a yeah. Comic it's
1: books not, are hard. Yeah,
2: they are too, and it's it's yeah.
1: tough.
2: I think they're much harder than than games. I, I mean, I've learned that I can't do sound design, right? That I just don't have an ear for it. Uh, so, so I think maybe I've learned most importantly my limitations uh, as an artist. And and I think that's something that I learned. I don't know. I, I I mean, I feel really hesitant about calling myself an artist because I I don't I don't think I want that moniker actually. But uh, as a developer. I've learned just what the limit of what I can do is. And I think that's something that writing long form, right? So I wrote five days a week on my blog for two years solid. And I think, you know, that was the same sort of thing because I really, I I learned uh, the limit of what I can do and where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So, so I think they're similar. Maybe this isn't one communicating to the other, but rather that, like Lana was talking about, game development is a long form time intensive process. And so when you spend that much time with an object, you learn... What you can do with it and what you can't. So I like mm-hmm. learned that I can't do anything with sound. But uh, and so the same thing happened with writing, right? If you begin to treat that as a long form project rather than as a, uh, you know, as something you dip into and out of, but rather as mm-hmm. one long piece of writing, which I sort of treated mm-hmm. my blog that way for a long time, then it becomes the same sort of thing, right? You learn what you can do and what you can't do. My writing changed a significant amount. Right, I gave up on on narratives I gave up on long form cohesive pieces uh, the most most of what I write now is very short and and you know sort of stubby and really sort of staccato uh, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't think that came from from Twitter actually for me I think that came from realizing that that I think that might be a more effective format for me Thinking the thought rather than and, and doing the thinking. There's a really, really great uh, Hannah Arendt uh, quote where she talks about Heidegger. And this is a, a horrible comparison to make. I'm not comparing myself to Heidegger. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but she said that, that why his lectures, why he was so powerful of a thinker is that you get you got to watch him do the thinking in front of you. He didn't present the argument. He instead did the reasoning he, he would stand up and lecture for three hours, and he would just reason through things and that 's why his writing 's so difficult right he 'll go mm-hmm. through forty mm. pages of of thinking and then he 'll say well actually that 's all wrong and here 's why <laughs> um, which is very <laughs> frust- it's frustrating as a, as an <laughs> early reader of heidegger but but it's it 's educational in the end, and so that 's what I think I tried to turn the writing into, and maybe that 's what my games are sort of about too. Um, is about process uh, and showing process mm. and trying to make people think about process. I don't know if I'm successful at that, but um, but it's something that I try to do.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious because um, I am in a creative writing program right now, so I am experimenting with um, poetry and prose um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. It um, was really interesting for me, is you know, I kind of just blogged because that was what I did, and then eventually started to question, you know, why am I blogging? Uh, and why am I blogging the things that I'm blogging? Like, what are the things that are most appropriate for 800 to 1500 words? Because, you know, very often I kind of wanted to write like these really long, like missives of like, here's how to change the world. And that doesn't quite work very often just for me as a person who's living, you know, and trying to do other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just what people consume and what people respond to in the way that I want. So what has been very interesting for me with, Playing games has been why you use a game like why do you use a game to communicate whatever you need and and what is it that is seems kind of appropriate for that um and what's interesting for me um in doing the games that I've done and kind of having responses for them is kind of it's almost like you just want to put people in situations as opposed to them to necessarily find an answer. Mm -hmm. Like I've always been taught to, when I wrote that you're doing it for a goal. And that goal is to communicate like an argument overall, maybe uh, in criticism or, you know, a specific feeling in creative writing. And then in games instead, it was kind of like, here is um, an experience to go through. I'm not entirely 100% sure what you're gonna feel on the other end. But I want you to go through this process Mm. for whatever reason. Like I want, I want you to reflect on why you had that feeling at the end of this particular process. Um, And that's been very interesting for me, you know, pulling back onto my creative writing, where which is now very experiential, if you will, um, more about like, you know, um, you know, a whole bunch of different things instead of like getting someone to a certain experience. Um, it's been more for people to kind of, I don't know, pass through a filter and see what ends up on the other side of that filter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's been interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, like one of the things I've definitely taken away is the ability to, to sort of uh, think comparatively with games. I mean, like games are kind of um, it, it, often accused of a certain cultural homogeneity, which is sort of, a, I think, uh, sort of a misconception. Um and my I've always sort of been interested in, in like sort of cross media studies and and comparative studies within games because that's where I come from anyway. So that takes both a, a a kind of sympathetic understanding of my own personal framework that I've studied and understanding how games actually work and seeing how those things fit together in the ways that they actually don't. Um which is where, you know, like formal adaptability is really kind of an important thing. And like one of the things that it's been helping me to kind of like formalize for myself is understanding A, how different art forms kind of can speak to each other. And so B, also understanding the different kinds of uh, experiences and the different kind of perspectives that create, manifest like a complex political underpinning. Um, both for the people who make the games and the people who play them and how they're going to be informed by like the limitations of what they know or what they understand when they go into enter into the contract of engaging with a game, sort of the, the complex different sort of facets of human understanding or, or um, sympathy empathy that are going to go into how somebody is able to perceive what you've done. And it also, you know, it makes you question your own limits, um, it makes you sort of question your own um, ethical or political blind spots um, mm. when you're when you're making a work and understanding, you know, like what are sort of the like these are my preoccupations artistically. But like what form these, what cements these, what are they rooted in and how are they communicating a specific idea? It's Like, you know, there is like my artistic background is very westernized and I, I know that. <laughs> um by playing games made by other people in different geopolitical contexts. Um And the mm-hmm. way that I understand art is very westernized. And the, the work that I make as a result is very, not only westernized, but, you know, due to chronology, also very postmodern. Mm-hmm. And so it takes understanding a wide variety of different artistic um, and political eras and movements and perspectives to understand what goes into making specifically an interactive experience But it also helps me go back into other art forms and see how those things are also kind of impinging on those things, too, and how they're kind of affecting interpretation.
0: Yeah, I think that as um, a different tool for that sort of like almost revealing, it it kind of like it it reveals a different part of yourself Mm -hmm. that is not really easy to articulate or let's say it's easy to put into words, like literally, but like Sometimes, especially, like, when you're talking – let's say when you're in a place with a lot of social justice stuff, mm-hmm. like, seeing a list of qualifiers is almost, like, garbage language now. Like, yeah. whenever I see kind of, like, straight white male, like, I, like, don't even see any words anymore. It is, like – it's just kind of, like, you know, a type of – it's it's almost a, a non-perspective. So it's so interesting yeah. to have have that, right?
1: Yeah, it's, like, the word problematic is problematic because <laughs> – if you hear something too many, first of all, it becomes uh, this kind of straw man-ish in that it fails to accurately describe the thing that it's supposed to be assigned to. And if you hear a word too many times, it sort of dilutes it of its meaning. Yeah. Um, it becomes a, a, a crutch mm. in place of uh, productive dialogue, mm. um, which is unhelpful. And you can do that a lot when you're creating, too, that you rely on certain tropes and memes and certain aesthetic crutches instead of challenging yourself to really investigate um why you're creating a work and what you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, um I'm kind of curious now, this is just for like, you know, a little bit of a tie up here is, have you all ever made games as criticism or have a particular or know of a particular game that you kind of find? acts as, like, kind of games criticism by chance?
1: Hmm. I almost uh, made one once, but I never got around to it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, I mean, I have a couple things that are in the works that are sort of much... They're uh, directly about commenting on games, mm-hmm. and I just haven't been able to finish them but they've, I've been working on them since January, so so maybe I'll have a couple things. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really, I haven't done very many in the past, but uh, I mean, I think they're also like, um, what's the uh, Enviro Golf that just came out a little while ago? I heard about it on uh, One More Turn podcast. Shout out to One More Turn podcast. But uh, Enviro Golf is made by the same guy, I think, who does uh, Enviro Bear or who made Enviro Bear, Enviro mm-hmm. Bear 2000. Uh, and it's a game. Like so, so it's very much this sort of, um, I I don't know. I think it's a it's a piece that's it's it is a game. I believe that is critical of the sort of unalloyed acceptance of games like Spec Ops. Uh, so it, mm-hmm. it's a game that is critical of the critical atmosphere around those games. Um, so okay. so it's removed. It's it's an interesting little thing, right? So so it's about like uh, it's a golf game, right? And so <laughs> but it's a text based golf game. And, um, but but then something happens. Like your ball goes into the woods, and you get a little text at the bottom that's like uh, squirrels. Every year, will collect golf balls and uh, store them instead of nuts, and they starve to death. Right, and so it's like it's a thing of like clearly you're not supposed to take that very seriously, right? Like it's this very absurd and ridiculous thing. But that's the sort of uh, the the love for that uh, in certain certain right. So like Brendan's book, right? The love for that, in some cases, is, is strange, right? And I think my view, <laughs> my views on Brendan's book are, are well-known. Shout-out to Brendan. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. um, yeah, so I'm kind of – yeah, I think that's really fun in a way of, like – in a sense, one thing, and something like Lana mentioned before, is, like, this um, maybe hesitation of solipsism, you know, of games criticism. Like, you know, should we, we're a little bit worried about, like – you know, especially when there has been kind of a prominence with, like, kind of personal experience and things like that in game uh, in I, games criticism, I'm kind of curious as, you know, games from critics kind of allowing us to be self-aware yeah. of our process, you know, for, you know, this, because I'm pretty sure we're all, well, I like, you know, optimistically we're all aware mm-hmm. of kind of what's going on in the situation that we're in. And I think it would be kind of interesting for game making to be a tool for us to... Keep that Mm self-awareness.
1: Right. Yeah, so on the sort of the the topic of, like, games that kind of light a fire under us, like, yeah, so because a lot of the games I play are are pretty small, a lot of them have a lot of these um, sort of, like, meta elements, meta commentaries. One that I always kind of refer back to is Vidiot Game, which is an actually good example of satire. (laughs) <laughs> mini mm. games. It actually is fantastic, and it's sort of it has all these sort of um, like it's it, it's basically a bunch of these very glitched out like mini games that get progressively unplayable as you go through them, um, mm. and you have these sort of characters with stats that don't seem to like actually matter, um, <laughs> and you like you die, but like you just kind of respawn, um, and there doesn't seem to be much of a goal, so I love that game. Because, uh, it put, it, I mean, it, it questions a lot of the stuff that we kind of take for granted in some of the discursive circles. Things about um, agency, things about sort of the teleology of games, goal, goal orientation of games. Mm-hmm. Um, that games need to be a means to an end of some kind. Mm. Um, and uh, sort of the ideas of uh, uh, technophilia and polish as measures of quality. There's all kinds of stuff like that that I find uh, really interesting. So, I mean, even the characters, the fact that the, the character stats don't actually seem to mean anything, that the characters aren't really instrumentalized towards um, any kind of, like, functionality of <laughs> any sort. And so you, you see them not as means to a particular uh, preferred kind of feedback, but rather um, just sort of little jokes unto themselves. And uh, like Major Bueno, does really good stuff with that too. Um, sort of a misdirection, subversion of a, actually one of the things that makes them so good at, at comedy and games is the fact that they subvert certain game expectations, mechanical expectations, with and dynamic expectations, which I think is just great. And there's this other one too that's called um, Box Simulator, and it's box? it's just he's just sitting in a box. That's <laughs> <as> the game. <laughs> Just sitting in a box is the whole game. (laughs) Um, And I had a conversation about this with Zelani Stewart, and pretty much his his take on that was that because you're spending all this time sitting in a box not doing anything, you actually end up constructing your own little narrative for what's going on. And you start picking out details, different like lines and themes and shades of color, and um, you start looking at the tiny, tiny details. So um, the world gets really, really microscopic. Instead of like the preoccupation with expanse um in games mm-hmm. um space uh the space is really because it's so um contracted, you start to really focus on the tiny little details,
0: yeah, which is sort of unusual mm-hmm. um yeah, um well, those are. Oh, thank you for all these uh, recommendations. I actually have not played any of the games you all have mentioned, and so
2: I'm gonna go. Can I say one more really quickly? Oh, Icarus Proudbottom teaches typing. um,
0: (laughs) Okay. Which is made
2: by Holy Wow Studios. Uh, They're probably my favorite like small developers right now, and uh, so they they have a weekly game now, um, or that they did that was a serial like murder mystery typing game. Uh, But Icarus Proudbottom teaches typing. um, This just gives you a a sample of the thing. It immediately begins and Icarus Proudbottom talks to you a little bit and introduces the typing game and says, well, what do you look like? And then it immediately switches to like a Baldur's Gate style, like, you know, 400 different statistics that you have to assign. Um, (laughs) and, And then you spend time doing this and it never comes up again.
0: Oh God! Um,
2: Yeah, it's just wonderful this this sort of thing. So yeah, Icarus, proud bottom teaches typing is like right up at the top.
1: One of of those my favorite. My favorite way in which um, games produce uh, frustration or humor through subversion, I think, is through wasting the player's time. Yeah. I think (laughs) it's one of the best things that a game can do to piss off a gamer. (laughs) Just deliberately make them perform an action that has no meaning or connection to anything else in the game, just for the hell of it.
0: Um, I actually, yeah, I think you can spend a whole bunch of time just on that topic. <laughs>
1: um,
0: Cause I think it's hilarious when gamers get mad. So, Oh yes. Um, I, that's something we share in common.
1: <laughs> All right then. Um, is there anything
0: else y'all would like to add? I think that was a great discussion. <laughs>
1: um,
0: no, I I'm think I'm good. <laughs> awesome well thank you both for joining me i really appreciate uh you all uh, sharing your thoughts and talking about your things so um and thank you all out there for listening and um i'm sure we'll be back soon with something else